Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Nehemiah, page 482, if you've got the exact same copy of God's Word that I do in the Old Testament. Uh, Nehemiah has been an incredible um, study for me. We've been studying this for uh, quite some time in preparation for this time of teaching. And we've been talking about this idea of huddling up that really God's called us to live in these small bands of believers, smaller circles, like we love when we get to sit in rows. We love this corporate time. Listen, we believe that when we gather together, we huddle up corporately like this, that God does special and supernatural. And part of the work of the the spirit that we experience happens in these larger huddles. And yet we see in the New Testament the practice of they gathered in the temple courts and then they met house to house. There was large huddles that worked themselves into these small bands of believers. We've been talking about the idea of coming full circle in your faith. Coming full circle. Some of us, what we mean by that is that we talk about the five W's. What does it mean to be a disciple? A lot of people, oh, you know, Jesus came and the church exists to make disciples. I talk to so many pastors, a lot of these pastors that are planting churches, and I kind of get back to that. If the church exists to make disciples, then what is that? And it's hard to construct or it's hard to to create environments that help ensure that we become disciples when we can't define what a disciple is. And, and as we grew up in most churches, there's just every week there was 52 new things that it meant to be a disciple. And then the next year, 52, there's 52 more things that it meant to be a disciple. That can get really nebulous and it can get kind of confusing. And so we've just studied the scripture hard and long. We've kind of narrowed down to the five, what we call the five W's, the five uh, areas of spiritual uh, components that it means for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what we find is that we need to be, and we say it this way, a disciple is a fully developing follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're developing fully all five for the rest of our lives. We never fully become until the moment we step into glory, step into heaven. And then the Bible says literally all sin is gone. We will know even as we've been known. Been known. We, we're just in this new place, but we are growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the days of our life. In other words, we're growing in those five W's. We learn to worship God, to live by his word. Like we don't go by culture or media, but we go by the word of God. We walk with God's people. We contribute to God's work with our finances, our time, our talent. And then we impact God's world through our witness and our ways. We talk about missions impacting them. It's like we pray and we give And we go, we don't pray, give, or go. And some of us are going across the street while others of us are going across the world, all right? But we're still living on mission. Those are the five, we wanna grow in all five of those all of our life. And so what we found is that, you know, you don't don't get changed or transformed overnight. It's like, I wanna be a disciple. I wanna really know all that. But bam, all right, tomorrow, there it is, I got it. No, that's not how it works. Any of you who know about working out the first day you step in the gym, you got all new, you know, workout clothes on. Doesn't mean that you're fully, you know, healthy and you, and you change, you transform your body, you change your health overnight. That, that takes discipline. It takes habits. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. For those of you who are walking through seasons of either regaining your health 
or walking through uh, whatever that is. After You remember like five or six years ago when I had the, all the stuff that took place with my heart, the, the process. I am still now in a lifelong process, habits, disciplines with great intentionality to, to change my health. And healthy is such a gift. Anybody realize before you got sick, you weren't near as grateful about the health that you had until the day you got sick or recognized or knew that you were sick and then God brought new health. All of a sudden, we're like, ooh, I treasure what I used to take for granted. Sometimes we do that with a marriage. We esteem lightly what is so holy until we come to a day we look like we might lose it, or we do. So we're, we're learning, we're growing. We're just going to keep growing year after year, month after month, season after season, month after month, week after week. And one of the things that I want us to discover today, if I could just uh, put this entire sermon in one sentence, I would say it's this. Every victory starts in the huddle. Now, we understand that when it comes to uh, athletics. Uh, in the huddle, we call the play. In the huddle, we reconnect. Like every great victory, every great play, every great moment starts with, ah, yeah, wait, 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 pass the ball. What about those no huddle offenses? What about those, some of those that run and gun and the fast pace? What about no huddle offense? Did you know that no national championship and no Super Bowl has ever been achieved or won by teams who ran the no huddle? They won, but not the ultimate prize. And some of us are going with a no huddle offense in our marriage. We're going with a no huddle offense in our spiritual life. We're going, man, I'm fine. I'm fine. Listen to me. You're not going to ultimately achieve all that God has designed, your destiny, all that God designs for your life, your marriage, your children, your parenting, and your influence and your impact on the world in a no huddle lifestyle. You're like, Pastor, why you got to jump up in my face like first thing in a sermon? It's because I care about you. Isn't it interesting that when life gets tight, we run to the huddle. Our country did this. All the conspiracy theories around it, blah, 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 okay. But on 9-11, when the worst, what we present, the worst disaster of our world, all of a sudden, whoa, even our political leaders huddled up. And we cried out because we recognize some things are above us. They're bigger than us. They're above our pay grade. Anybody besides me today recognize there's some thing, challenges, there's some obstacles, there's some, there's some parts of the journey that you're, you're in or just ahead and they're really above what you can just do without a huddle. Nehemiah, we talked about last week as we kicked this series off, we kind of ran to Nehemiah chapter two and we saw this one thing. If there's one thing that I wanted you to pick up from last week. It is this, because we went ahead to see the miracle 
And then we're now coming back to see what was the, what was the precursor, what was the runway that set the miracle up, and that is this, that God does the impossible through the surrendered. When, when we say, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm not gonna just trust in my plans and my ways. God, I'll do it your way, with your resources, with your heart. I will do, I'll be willing to change. God, you can change my priorities. You can change my direction. You can change my heart. You can do what you do, because I'll just surrender and say yes to you. Because have you figured it out yet? God's plans are higher than our plans. God's ways are higher than, God, God's way is just better. Anybody figured it out? God's way is just better. Three of us, three of us. Yeah, oh, God's way is good. I like me some God's way. Anybody figured out literally that when we do it God's way, anybody want to say it with me? We get God's. But we do it our way? Mm. When are we going to believe that? See, what you do is what you believe. Everything else, just a bunch of religious talk. And we say that we believe God's way. But listen to me. God is saying through Nehemiah, through all the texts we've been teaching, he wants us to understand the critical nature of huddles. They're indispensable in our lives. And so many times we feel unqualified or maybe even disqualified for gathering up. We feel weird. Like, listen to me. What if, what if everything that you were hoping for was just on the other side of your fears? Like, why, listen to me, why do you think that you're afraid of getting in one of those small groups? Why are you, why, what do you think? All this crazy stuff that, that comes in our minds that for whatever reason, oh, I'm not afraid of one of them groups. Well, why aren't you in one? Why aren't you huddled up? Well, I, I've been doing this long enough. You know, the way I've been doing it works for me. That's great until the moment it doesn't. And the moment you need a huddle, it's, it's a little late to be trying to develop and find one. Thank, thank God that we are, have the opportunity today to, to intentionally pursue. Listen, God's trying to change us, transform us. And he wants us to participate that, in that. And, and I see in Nehemiah's story like this intentional, this intentional change. Some of us change because we have to. Some of us wait till it's so bad and hurts so bad and the pain is so intense that we have no other options but to change. What if we said, hey, this is tense and God, I realize that you're wanting to change some things in me and you want to bring about change. It's not just for me because what you bring to the huddle isn't just for you. Your strengths, your weaknesses, your brokenness. When you get in the huddle, listen to me, all of that is not just for you. It's for the other people in the huddle. And what they've been through isn't just for them. It's for you because you're in their huddle. What if even what you think disqualifies you is what God's been using to humble you and prepare you to be a great part of a small huddle? Because I believe that's true. I believe it's true. So we just bring it all to the huddle. <laughs> we just bring, we bring it all. Like we don't have to listen. Like, yeah, but pastor, man, when folk find out what I really been like, when folk find out who I really am, they, they're not going to like me. Listen, 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 listen. Here's the beauty of the huddle is that that's a place where ultimately if you'll, if you'll bring things in the light that you can be fully known and then right on the other side of the fear of being fully known, you'll be fully loved. And then what, then what, then, 
then what's the enemy going to use to lie to you and grip you with shame and shut you down and stop you? And Listen to me. One of the beautiful things about the body of Christ is that we can be fully known and fully loved. People love us for who we are, right where we are. And then grab that arm, put it around you, and get up on it. It's like going, we ain't staying here, bro. I love you too much for that. Come on. Let's grow together. Come on. Let's help that part of your blood, how your heart heal. You'll get to stay. Oh, and you just go, oh, and the, listen, life in the huddle, life together. Every victory starts in the huddle. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, starts like this. Let's just dig into the word. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And what we're about to, has anybody ever read someone's diary? Like I, I, I get to read, I got my, my grandmother's Bible and I have my, I have my daddy's Bible. And, you know, not, not like his necessarily. I got one of his preaching, my daddy's preaching Bibles, but I got one of his personal Bibles. And, you know, when you read, like, things that, my, you know, your dad or your grandma writes in the margin, you're reading some of the most intimate words. I feel like, I feel like I've, 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 I've had the opportunity to know my dad's faith as much from what was handwritten. Oh, my gosh, to see my daddy's handwriting. Whew, you know? It's the way he wrote his J's. He wrote them like nobody else. Jackie Ray Mintz. And to see that handwriting and to know his life and to read his personal writing. That, that's what this is. These are like the, like the journal entries from Nehemiah. And it says, now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year. That's just what they called their months. Uh, I was in Susa, the citadel. We'll talk about how significant that is. That was not the capital city, but it was kind of like a winter retreat for uh, the Persian Empire and the, uh, the Persian emperor. It said, in those moments, verse 2, that Hanani, one of my own brothers. You'll see another translation says, my own kinsman. It, it, he's talking about family. He's talking about this intimate, brotherly, close. And we'll see later on that there was such love and such trust between him and his brother. And that's not true of every brother. Anybody got a, like a younger brother that's more the annoying brother than he is the trusted brother? Anybody got a brother? Don't raise him too high, especially if he's sitting close to you. Uh, you don't want to like, that's you, you an idiot. But don't, you don't do that. But anybody also have that, wow, that's like, this is my brother. I have three brothers, and I thank God that in different moments, I've had to run to each one of them for different, like they just, they've been my heroes my whole life. And this is one of his brothers, and we'll see that he actually, at the end, like when so much takes place, they rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, which was just the miracle, something that had not been done in 141 years. 
God, supernatural. Remember, God does the impossible through the surrendered. And, and, and Nehemiah just says yes to God and this whole crazy, and he goes back. They did it. They pulled it off in 52 days, two and a half miles of wall, 39 feet tall, somewhere between eight and 20 foot thick. Different, and the only reason I say this because some commentators say it was eight foot thick. Some said it was 20 foot thick. 34 different watchtowers, eight different gates, two and a half miles of that, 52 days. Under the threat of attack, under constant ridicule, God did the impossible through the surrender. Well, where did that all begin? It began in this incredible trusted huddle. Look, look, his brother, who was a love truster and, and loved, loved and trusted brother. And he actually hands off a lot of the governing practices to his own brother. He's like, if I'm gonna have somebody on my team, I'm gonna have someone I love, someone I trust, someone who gets it and gets me. Listen to me. Remember we talked about the wisdom table? Don't let somebody else choose your wisdom table and don't choose foolishly. Like you put people at your wisdom table that are going to point you to God. They love God more than they love you and they love you deeply. Don't put somebody at your table and listen to them that doesn't love you. That's not loyal to you. That won't laugh with you. That won't shed a tear with you. And he pulls again. Look what he says. The, that, that Hananiah... One of my brothers came with certain men from Judah and I asked them. So they're connecting his brother and a few very certain men that he would huddle up with. Now, somebody say, well, this is a one-time event. Listen to me. It, 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 when, 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 uh, when Judah and Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, was crushed and overtaken and the temple was destroyed in 587 right, B.C., the, the Assyrians came in, destroyed everything, and they took everybody into exile. That's just how they did it, just spread them all out. But then the Babylonians took over, and that loosened a little bit. And then the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And under the Persian rule, they really wanted everybody to kind of be in their own groups. They, they wanted to rule over, but they saw the power of kinsmen being together. So they allowed all this travel, and they allowed people, and they began like under, under Zerubbabel, which is a cool, you know, I remember we talked about it last week. Zerubbabel, ooh, there's a family name, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel began to lead a group of the, of the Jews that were all in exile back to Jerusalem. Ezra, which is right before Nehemiah, this whole stuff, Ezra brings another whole wave of Jews back to Israel, back to Jerusalem, and they begin to rebuild the temple, reestablish all that. Now under this, remember, under, under uh, the Persian empire, he really celebrated. They could move, they could operate, they go back and forth. And it seemed like the pattern of these men, because he was in service to the, the king of Persia, they, they couldn't come all the time. But it was a, it was a thousand mile journey from Judah to this citadel. And they made it their pattern to come and to connect and to huddle up. Can I say it again? Every victory starts in the huddle. Some of you, you are praying for, begging for, waiting for, hoping for, Breakthrough today. 
Some of you, all of a sudden, you're waiting for break. You're praying, like you're finally praying. Like all of a sudden, this stuff about healing and stuff and people being prayed to heal. Like that didn't really ring your bell until you needed healing. And then all of a sudden, yeah, what, does that, what does that mean? Why do y'all, why do y'all huddle up and pray? And what's the thing about the oil? And what, when y'all anoint people with oil, like what does that mean? Well, like, all of a sudden, see, like, like what if your healing is hanging in the balance today about, and your breakthrough and your healing are like, they're just a step. They're just an intentional change away from isolation to huddling up. This is where God's gonna change the game for you. From being a Christian to being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. From being named one of those Christians to being one of those who when God changed you, it changed you enough to send you into the world as a change agent for others. See, change that doesn't flow through you causes us to wonder if it actually happened in you. Nehemiah In this huddle, he said, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, this remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, who had come back to Jerusalem, what does it say? This remnant is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed with fire. You ever gone back to the house that you grew up in? And it was a lot smaller than you thought it it used to be. It was so big back then, and then all of a sudden it's... And and isn't it hard? I I love it when you go back to, you know, one of those early formative uh, years, uh, one of the places that maybe the city or part of the neighborhood or whatever it was, and it's even better now. Like, they've so cared for it. It's just, it's amazing. But have you ever been back to maybe one of your, your old stomping grounds? And it was just in shambles. And you're like, man. Because, man, when I was here, when we were growing up, I remember right over there, that's where we used to go fishing. Man, me and my buddies, we used to this and that. And you just have all these robust stories. And look at it now, and it's just, oh, Listen, for some reason, because Nehemiah had been willing to surrender. Remember, God does the impossible through the surrendered. When this happened and that news came up, Nehemiah allowed God in this huddle to break and to crush his heart for the conditions of the people of his birth. He said, God, if you need to change me, change my Priorities change my focus, change my pursuit, change my, my, my actions, change my vision. God, God, you can change anything about me. And in that posture, listen, that's what huddles do for us. They, they keep us saying, hey, are we, are, are, we, are we turning our hearts to the Lord? Because you know what? You come into a small group, and I had this early in my life. had some guys that they might not have been in ministry. I was in ministry before Shannon and I. Uh, uh, we're married. And so I, and all of our years I've been in ministry and every now and then, you know, pastors aren't perfect anymore than any of us. I've had some season there where, where some people that were close to me kind of huddled up with us, kind of look at me after a dinner. We went to dinner and they pulled me aside. I was like, hey, why are you being such a jerk to me, Shannon? I was like, I don't know who you think you are. You're being a jerk to me right now. Why don't you shut up? 
And they say, why don't you shut up about telling me to shut up? You need to listen to what I have to say. You're being a jerk to your wife. Well, I'm not being a jerk to my wife. You cut her down four or five times at dinner tonight. What are you trying to prove? Well, I was, I was playing. That ain't play, bro. That's disrespectful. Every excuse I get. Anybody ever found yourself when you can't win the argument at home, you just bring it up in front of other people at dinner and you bring it up nice and everything, but you just slide in a cool, thin blade to your spouse. You're like, yeah, well, it's, 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 and you know, and that, oh, well, you know, Chandler, you know, you know, Shannon, you know, that, I mean, man, oh, can you just know I can just kind of, with a smile on your face, just jab one another? There is such a thing as death by a thousand cuts. And I have some friends that love me enough to go. I don't know what's going in, on in you, but it's coming out everywhere. And some of the first persons to take the heat are Shannon and the kids. Can, can, would you let us push back on what you're doing right now? Could I just push back on your attitude? Could I push back? I'll, I'll, well, I think you already are, and I haven't given you permission to do so. Yeah, 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 because we're in a huddle together. <laughs> now, now, let me just go to high school football. We were on our way to being a state championship football team. And penalties can disrupt your momentum. And I remember, and it wasn't our coaches that did it, but we were so passionate. We were so committed. We all believed, and we wanted it so bad that when somebody would jump off sides and you came back to the huddle. The coaches were on the sideline. Someone, you know, we all did this, and we held hands in the huddle. Like a bunch of sweaty, stinky, big old, but, but that's just, that was part of how we did. We were just, we were huddled up. We were circled up. We were unified. And in that moment, someone go, they would grab your face. They go, don't jump off sides again. I remember one of our linemen jumped off sides two times in a row. Anybody, anybody, you know, know, those of you, some of you ladies are like going, yeah, 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 who cares? Boys and your football, well, I'm telling you, for those of us who played football, it was like life. It was everything. And I just remember, I remember running, I was going back to the hotel, I was like, oh, Lord Jesus. (laughs) And one of our linemen like, we, were, we got back in the hallway, we handed up. He said, no, 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 stand up. So he, he went from like this, he stood up, and he ear-holed him. Does anybody know what ear-holing means? You, on the side of your helmet, you have a little, little circle that's cut out ear so you can hear. He slapped him so hard in the ear hole, and he went, thank you, I needed that. <laughs> I can't even make that up. It's like, just, just please, just beat me. I, just, oh, I can't believe I jumped off sides again. He was just like, bop. Jump off things. I'm not gonna jump off sides. I'm going on two, on two, on two, on two. I got it, I got it, on two, on two, on two. I think he stayed there until like three seconds after the play started. I am not jumping off sides. He may, I may not make my block, but I'm not costing us another five. Just like, you know what I'm saying? The huddle, the huddle. This, that's what my friends were doing because what we were trying to accomplish together mattered to us. 
and trust me, my marriage and our ministry, my integrity, our character, my daughter, my son, my daughter-in-law, feeling and experiencing the love of God through me matters more than any state championship ring that we might, that we might wear, right? Come on. And sometimes you gotta be around guys that are close enough to see, around girls that are close enough to see and to look in and go, you're not okay. No, 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 I'm fine. No, I'm fine. You're, no, you're not. And it's in that context that God was able to do some things in Nehemiah's heart that so profoundly affects every single one of us who would name Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Because what he did to come back, they'd already rebuilt the temple. So worship was restored, but they couldn't practice worship like they wanted because there was no culture around it. How do you go and worship and the enemy knows all God's children are gonna be in there in the worship house and you got no walls around you to protect you. And so the whole sacrificial system and the whole worship of Jehovah God was just really hindered and shut down. There was no culture and that was restored, right? So now you got 558 in, it's being rebuilt, reestablished. And then you got the interbiblical period, this silent period after Malachi for 400 years, which set up, here comes Jesus, and he chooses his 12 disciples. This was one of the last pieces to prepare for the arrival of a Savior. It's so important. What was it about the huddle that was so critical. What, what, what did that huddle provide for Nehemiah? Well, it, it created the environment for him to hear, to experience, and to embrace with great intentionality to change. Listen, let me say it again. When God changes you truly, that change forces you into the world as a change agent. And in this huddle, God was changing Nehemiah, changing Hananiah, his brother, because his brother was going to play a critical part. He was in the huddle. Listen to me. Everybody in the huddle needs to do their job. Have anybody ever heard this? Like one person doesn't do their job on the team in the huddle. Listen to me. Bad things happen. They were all growing in this. God was working to listen to me. I want us to be so changed, so changed intentionally that not only say, okay, change is okay, but not that, so that we pursue you. It's one thing to want change. It's another thing to pursue it. Pursue it with intentionality. The kind of change where my new faith actually changes someone else's heart. My new faith changes someone else's doubt. My new faith actually activates faith in somebody else's spirit. Literally, my cha- I want my change, my new faith to actually affect someone else. This is doing, that's how the kingdom of heaven works. God, God accomplished this in Nehemiah's heart. And, and there's just some, some principles, it seems to me, that we could, we could glean from. Well, how did that, how did that take place? What, what, what were the key uh, 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 pieces to that because you got to remember that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Like you read on down, the very last verse 11 in Nehemiah chapter 1, and it says, Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now think about this for a minute. The cupbearer to the king 
negotiates, has a conversation with the king, which could have cost him his life, just like Esther, when she went and appealed to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, for all the Jews, because she was a Jew. And if this decree that Nebuchadnezzar, king of back then of Babylonia, if he was going to wipe out all the Jews, it would kill her too, because she was a Jew. And so she revealed that she was a Jew. I mean, just, just it's such a, a powerful moment. And Nehemiah went to the king. And if you were sad in the king's presence, they could kill you. Yeah, remember, king. Many of these kings were worshipped as gods. You looked a certain way, you dressed a certain way, you groomed a certain way because it was all about creating an environment of honor and safety for the king. He was the cupbearer. Do you know how trusted that is? Like he drinks the wine before he hands it to the king because if someone's poisoned it, you die before the king does. He's a cupbearer. Now, I don't know about you, but if I remember the school of cupbearing, I don't know that construction management was a part of the curriculum in cupbearing school. I mean, how's he going to go from being a cupbearer to mounting up and building the wall for a two and a half mile wall, 40 feet tall, 34, you know, guard towers, eight gamut. What? What? And yet God apparently said that the perfect man for this task, cup bearing and the huddle around him were perfect to set him up and prepare him for doing something that would be absolutely impossible. Remember, he was a compliment. Listen, he's not a priest. He's not a pastor. He's not a king. He's not a government official. He's a common person with uncommon training, being prepared for an uncommon task by a supernatural God. Because God does the impossible through the surrendered. What did that, what did that, what did that huddle do for him? Well, it, it helped him do for let me, let me, I was probably going to go more deeply than this, but let me just do it this way. That huddle produced change in Nehemiah's whole world, whole focus. Because in that huddle, he learned to listen to God. In that huddle, he listened. Some, listen to me. Well, I don't, Pastor, I just don't hear the Lord the way you do. And some of y'all, I would say that's probably true because the Lord is a little bit interesting in the way he talks to me, but I think that's more me. But, but because I'm just goofy and crazy and fun and funny and, 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 and a little off kilter at times to the glory of God. And I think sometimes I wonder if y'all are the weird ones rather than me. And I'm like going, why ain't y'all just like that? Because this, this is how we do. This is, our, this is our family, right? Maybe we're a whole church of the weird uncles of the body of Jesus. I don't know. Maybe it's just we're all the weird ones. Of the, I don't know. But like, like if, if, that, if it is, it is. I'm okay with that. He learned to listen. And can I say this to you? Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. If you're saying to me or to anyone else, you know, I just don't hear the Lord like you do. It's not because you can't. It's just that you 
aren't yet. Common dude, living in exile, had never seen Jerusalem, was born in exile, was born in captivity, raised up under a, a, a Persian king, totally not their culture, totally not their religion, all that. But in his huddle, he learned that he could hear the voice of God. He learned that God speaks and he could hear. Abraham heard God, heard God. Now, I don't know about you, but Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. I want you to take him to this mountain and I want you to sacrifice him there. I'm like, I'm thinking that was the bad chili I had last night because that was not the Lord. Paul, I want you to pack up everything you have, the security of your job. I love youth ministry. I want you to pack all that up and move to Mansfield, Texas. Well, well, and here's my mama. Well, what you going to do to provide for your child? I mean, you know, Miss, Miss, Miss Shannon, I mean, Miss, Miss, Miss Carolyn. My mama, she looked, God bless her. She was looking at me, you know, all four foot eight of her. Now, Paul, what are you going to do to provide for your family? I mean, that is a great question. And I said, well, mom, I don't know. All I do know is God said, pack up all of our stuff and move to Mansfield. Take. Do you remember those early days? You sat in my living room in those early days. Early days when Shannon was substitute teaching at the school. Early days when everybody looked at us like, you came here to do what? You, you an idiot. Well, for the Lord. <laughs> Maybe we don't look so stupid today. Right? Because when we hear from God, when we hear the kingdom word, when we hear the kingdom, when we, when we are able to observe things through kingdom lenses, what looks crazy in the natural seems absolutely clear-minded and, and perfect in obedience. Go, God, yes, I don't understand how, but if this is what you want me to do, this is why you want to do it, my answer is yes. He said, I know how to hear the voice. That's what he learned in the huddle. He learned how to listen. And God, listen to me, God broke, listen to me, God broke his heart for the people of, of, of Jerusalem. He broke his, listen to me, you know what I think happened? The power of the Holy Spirit worked on his heart as he was listening to God and he crushed his heart and he began to weep. It literally says right then, he stopped and he wept and he prayed for days. Like, that didn't happen before. Like, again, Israel's walls have been broken down for 141 years. This is not new information. But all of a sudden, because he was surrendered and because he huddled up and because they spoke a word to him, in that context, God was able to give him a heart for Jerusalem like Jesus had for Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd? And he wept over them. That's what Nehemiah is doing right now. I think the Holy Spirit, before he came to fill us, Nehemiah let him change his heart. Oh, listen to me. Love matters most in leadership. You hear me, husbands? Love matters most in leadership. Hear me, hear me, moms? Hear me, Christians, because every Christian is a leader. And love matters most in leadership. The loveless leader achieves little of significance in their life. God poured love into Nehemiah. I'm going to list the other thing, but let me just at least preach one point through a wife 
wrecked her husband's brand new car. Praise the Lord, she wasn't hurt. You might be laughing because that happened in your life. I don't know why you're laughing right now. It doesn't seem like a really funny thing to me. <laughs> laughing with me, not at me, right? She, uh, she totaled it. She wasn't hurt, but she, she totaled the car. And when the police officer arrived, she went to retrieve the insurance papers from the glove compartment of the car, only to find a handwritten note was wrapped around all those papers inside of a rubber band. And when she pulled that note off, it read this, sweetheart. If you're taking out these insurance papers, it probably means that you have been in a car accident. And I hope you are all right. Remember, it's you I love, not the car. You know what I think God is saying to some of us today? You may have wrecked the life that I put you in. But just remember this. It's you I love, not your reputation. It's you I love, not just the outward appearance. It's you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some of us have made choices or some others have made choices and they've happened to us. Some of us are walking through, listen to me, your breakthrough, your healing, your moment is a step of faith away. Because every victory starts in the huddle. Now, 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 let me explain some things. I'm, I'm, I'm debating because of cameras, but, but I'm going to risk it this one time. I'm going to risk it this one time. Usually I don't come off stage. We're, we're about to have Faith Point, our Faith Point team. These are just people who've walked through brokenness in their own life, and they're coming to say, I've seen God heal my life. I've seen God heal my body. I've seen God heal my marriage. These are people that brokenness has been their story, but redemption has been their destiny. And they're just saying, you know what? Come get the healing that we have found. Come get the story that we have discovered. We want you to come and find what we found in the huddle. Listen to me. You know what these are right here? These are just little huddles. We just huddle up for a moment. We just huddle up for a moment. And some of you listen to me. I'm, I'm going to beg you on behalf of Christ. I'm going to beg you on behalf of the heart of God to let us huddle up around you and just pray for your physical, emotional, relational, financial healing. Look, if it's broken, let us come and huddle up around you. Let's activate our faith and let us minister grace to you because every victory starts in the huddle. We crawl out of isolation and into the light with some other people who've crawled out of their isolation into light and together we can experience the, the power of God that changes things. Nehemiah listened and then he prayed. It's not just what you hear in, in the huddle that matters, but it's how you respond. You know, you know how Nehemiah responded to those broken words. Like he, he, he cried out to God in praise and then he, 
And then he began to plan. For four months, he prayed and prayed. It wasn't, it wasn't just like, well, God wants me there. Ah, let's, kick off. let's just try to do something totally unplanned. Listen, God loves waiting and planning. Remember we talked about that? This whole season, we taught on what waiting. There's wonder in the waiting. There's preparation. And he planned and planned. And then he was waiting for the right move, the waiting for the right action. And when God said, now's the day, he was like, I'm going to go hand the cup to the king. And he couldn't hide his sadness. And the king said, Why? what is this? You're, you're, I know you're not sick. Are you? you said, which could have cost him. He said, how could I not be? He acted in faith and he asked for big things from the king. God gave him favor. And that brother rolled up into Jerusalem with about 15 semis worth of trees. I mean, think about that. Trees to rebuild two and a half miles of wall and eight gates and 34. They're like, you know, I was just keeping thinking about it. Look at that. You know how much he would have, like, that's why there was 150 of them. And he had to have officers and he had to have warriors that, so people wouldn't steal. He had to have letters. They, We're going to teach through all this. But that brother rolls up in Jerusalem with enough supplies that they look at him like, going, he's like, oh, 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 you just hang on. What's all that for? Just hold on, hold on. And he comes in private, inspects the wall, adjusts the plan, and casts the vision. Remember last week? The vision that set them free. And they all went, let us rise up and build because he started in the huddle. Can, can I beg you to come get in a little huddle here and let us pray for you? And can I encourage you? Pastor, you're just trying to get us to sign up for one of them groups, aren't you? <laughs> I really am. Lord Jesus, let me be your pastor. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because every victory starts in the hell.